What can we do to fight back against big pharma and the compromised medical industry? We can become healthy and break free from the perpetual cycle of being poisoned by criminal organizations like most pharmaceutical companies. Come check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man, C60 Purple Power. The benefits of C60 have been personally outstanding. I use it every day and I feel incredible. I have tons of energy, I sleep great, and I haven't even come down with a cold since I started using C60 over two years ago. You can even get C60 for your pets. Do your own research, click the link in the description, and check out their website. If you order from that link or use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping. What is your health worth to you? Back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Ryan Musgrave Evans. First, I have a couple of announcements. Do you have a business, podcast? Do you produce content, music, artwork? If you are someone embracing their inner creator and you want to share it with our audience by advertising with us, email me, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com. We're doing incredible productions for our affiliates, and I work very closely with you on an individual basis to create the most effective ad possible. Check out our website, ForbiddenKnowledge.news. It's also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. This is where you find some of your favorite podcasts from our community, like Raised by Giants, Understanding Propaganda, Day Zero, and more. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Rockfin is where you get the premium content. You also get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin for only $10 a month. You can also create a free account and get access to everyone's free content, including all of our regular shows. Just go to rockfin.com slash fknplus to sign up or click the link in the description. Today I want to welcome Ryan Musgrave Evans. He is an author and lifelong experiencer of incredible crypto-terrestrial contact with a race of future humans. Ryan, welcome. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me, Chris. How you going? Yeah, I'm doing great. This is going to be excellent. You have one of the most incredible contact accounts that I've really ever heard. I can't wait to share this with my audience. And your case really resonates with me on uh, many levels. Uh, there's lots of correlations with many other cases in the past as well. It's very fascinating and terrifying at the same time, but definitely an incredible case. Uh, now, this is your first time on for the audience that may not be familiar. Tell us a little bit about your your background and how did this all start for you yeah okay um 
Yeah, well, I'm an Australian. Um, I live in Victoria, the state of Victoria. Um, and um, I've been a few things over my life, just, you know, occupation-wise. I've been a primary school teacher or uh, elementary school teacher. I've been a what we call a nursery worker in Australia, which means working on plant farms. Um, we used to work on tree farms for years and things like that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, with the with the paranormal side of things, it's been happening all my life. Uh to a lesser extent when I was younger um, and then um, maybe in my teenage years sort of picked up a little bit but really started kicking in hardcore probably about 10 years ago. So I'm 43 now. So probably in my early 30s when we moved, my wife and I moved back to where I'd come from, where I'd grown up as a kid and things like that, um, it all really picked up and hit another level again. And the, and the kinds of experiences I've had all my life I would have categorized them early on as being fairy or elf or tree spirit. That's the that's the kind of um, label I would have given them in those days, and that inspired me to get really interested in things like the Celtic fairy faith and um, uh, world folklore and mythology, particularly European and things like that. But um, since the the more recent bout of activity started about ten years ago, it, the the interactions took on a more quintessential ufo et abduction kind of vibe uh which made me get incredibly interested in in that world and that area um and then it occurred to me that these were the same dudes basically i it started to occur to me that that i was that there was this common substratum all the way through my life and that they had not presented themselves in certain ways earlier on and, and were presenting themselves slightly differently now that I was older, but um, was nonetheless the, the same race. Um, yeah, so uh, lots of experiences all my life. So many, I was just talking to my wife about this uh, the other week. I've had so many experiences that people would say were paranormal that I forget so many of them and then I'll see them written down. And I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. That happened to me five years ago. This, How could I have forgotten that, you know? Yeah. Like just lots and lots of stuff. But, um, yeah, anyway, so, well, maybe so, you could so that's give me. Us, yeah, man, well, maybe you could give us an example <laughs> of how things changed uh, from your childhood to now. How, how were things whenever you were younger? How did this manifest? Um, when I was younger, it manifested more as poltergeist activity, as shadow people. Um, as uh, figures, even during the daytime, like peeking at me from behind trees and things like that. Um, and there's one particular uh, experience I had when I was, I was four. I would have, I would, in a few weeks, I would have been turning five. Um, and down at a local golf course where there was a, a woodland there of um, North American pine trees, this, this small woodland, uh, I saw a, a being behind a tree. Uh, looking out at me with a triangular at the time I thought like a triangular shaped face but I thought it looked like a mask four really long fingers coming out from behind the tree the texture of it sort of looked like it was melting into the tree um like it like it's um it's the texture of it was um was bark like like uh, um and and since then I've seen those suits again and they are a kind of a suit like a, a soldier suit a camouflage suit but um uh, so that experience I stayed with me. That was a vivid, vivid experience. But um, the nothing, as I've gotten up, like in the last 10 years, the experiences, though, have, they've shown themselves more without 
what you might call glamoury or, um, you know, memory manipulation or mesmerization and hypnosis and things like that. Mm. And that's when I was thinking, oh, these guys look more like something like more typical kind of ET in some ways, um, especially their medics uh, that have big dark eyes when they're wearing lenses. But when you see them, when they, they don't have the lenses in their eyes are blue, this particular race, um, which, and um, yeah, so, and then also more medical procedure-like interactions, whereas nowadays, whereas when I was a kid, um, the closest thing to that I would have had was feeling hands on me in the middle of the night, like feeling touching and rolled over and like hands on my back and things like that. And then I'd be like, there's no one there. Um, now that was probably the closest thing to, that, that may, they may have been sort of um, like residue feelings and, and, and um, consciousness of medical type procedures then, but I was interpreting them differently maybe or something like that. But certainly in more recent times, um, drills you know like drilling into me and putting things into the back of my head causing intense pain while it's actually happening up into the bottom of my skull um and uh, checking my teeth um and put scanning me and things like that um yeah so that's where the, like that real sort of what people normally think of when they think of an abduction kind of scenario that kind of thing but i also said to them at one stage this was probably about nine years ago i'm not quite sure how long ago now hey that's well and good that you're allowing me to remember these kinds of things because I was quite cognizant of the fact that they can manipulate a mind and I always have been but um and and, and cancel memories and and suppress memories um and I realized that um they usually don't do anything they don't do things accidentally so if I was remembering these incidents so I was being allowed to remember them that's I, I felt fairly sure of that so I said to them sort of just projecting a message to them one day thanks for allowing me to remember these pr medical procedures, but I, I'd prefer if you actually came and visited me. Maybe you can come and, and we can have an interaction. You know, you can come and visit. Maybe we can have, you can have a cup of coffee, have a beer, you know. So I suppose this is more like a CE5 human initiated contact. Maybe you can categorize it as. Right. And it was, I think it was like a few nights later, I was standing in the kitchen um, with who at the time I thought was my wife. Um, a, a woman leaning against uh, a kitchen bench, a kitchen counter, um, and I was standing on the opposite side of a kitchen table and we were engrossed in this conversation. And I can't remember the details of it, unfortunately, but it was interesting. We were talking for an extended, prolonged period. I don't know how long. It could be anything from 10 minutes to an hour. Not, not sure. Um, and then my memory, uh, my brain started to cloud over and I felt slightly strange and I fell down to my knees and I started crawling out of the kitchen and um when some of these experiences happen uh there's a sort of like an obsessive compulsive like an ocd element that starts to manifest in me when they're manipulating so i took socks and started rolling them up into balls and started lining them up along the carpet and in other on, in other events i've done it with money lining up money while they're standing around and all of a sudden i'll sort of go a bit weird and i'll start sorting money if it's to hand and things like that um like they're putting me in some kind of state uh, like a temporary sort of state when they're not interacting with me or something. Then I levitated, went, was put back in bed over the top of my wife, um, who was sound asleep. And they sat me down on the bed and that's when I, and then they relinquished control. And that's when I started freaking out. Adrenaline rushes just, 
um, pumping through my body and um, and a voice said into my head, really clear feminine voice said, we just had a date. And, th- and then I really started freaking out and she said, I roll my eyes at you. Like she was rebuking me for reacting in such a fearful manner. Like I should know better by now. That was this kind of implication. And then, sorry, there's a lot of um, traffic noise here at the moment. Oh, Ho- no hopefully my mic's not picking that up too much. Um, and then I could hear her walking through the house, open the front door, close the front door, and then walk out the driveway and hear the rocks crunching under her feet. Um, so up until that point, I'd been having interactions that I was remembering, uh, but they were uh, like in the past, like the more recent sort of ET-like ones. They'd been of that kind of medical procedure kind of bent, but this was like a social interaction. And then when I thought about what she looked like, I was thinking, how could I have thought that was my wife? Because then I could break through what might be, you might call a screen memory or a glamoury or something like that. And she was at least six foot tall, incredibly white, huge blue eyes that slanted out slightly, a nose that was does not doesn't have the same kind of uh, architecture as ours, like a, like a flatter kind of nose, uh, a long face with a with a heavy chin, um, really skinny, tight black outfit with like a black darker circle, like of, of technology or something here. Um, and she was just leaning against the bench with her arms crossed the whole time while we were talking to each other. Um, and, and since then, I've been I've had a lot of interactions with them of a similar kind uh, where they're social interactions, where they've come to my house or they take me away. Levitating such a freaky feeling uh, when they're levitating you and you. Um, yeah, any, anyway, so, so, that, so that's, how, that's sort of how it's sort of progressed from sort of earlier much more subtle interactions when I was a kid and then sort of medical-like stuff to more social kind of interactions with. And they said that they're called the Majana. And that's and so I just, like, coined a spelling for it, M-A-J-E-E-N-A. I mean, you could spell it any way right, you like, I yeah. suppose. But, um, and, uh, and, and then it was after they told me that and, and uh, a few times they'd said they're, what they called and i was asking for clarity and pronunciation and stuff and they're like yeah that's how you say it. that's good enough you know um it was it was a while later that i made the connection with the australian wanjana uh and started to think maybe that the those petroglyphs in the kimberley um in australia that are many many thousands of years old that have the pale beings with the huge eyes i started to think maybe this is the same word um and since then, um, you know, found other beings that were very similar, probably the same race from other areas of folklore, like the Zulus have the uh, Mantidan, which is similar to the year when it's pronounced to Majina as well, pale future human race. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so there you go. Sorry, I'm rambling a bit. No, there. that's okay. Oh. This is incredible. There's so many directions I want to go there. Uh, they yeah. apparently have incredible control over over our perception. Um, how were most of these uh, kind of social interactions uh, initiated? You just would start feeling this strange feeling that you were describing earlier, or was it sometimes when you're sleeping? Uh, yeah, normally... I'll suddenly feel that there's a presence in the house or and also I'll suddenly feel like there's some kind of movement in my head or body um, and then I'll start feeling that there's some kind of 
control being exerted on me, like perhaps like pacifying me or something like that. And I'll just, I'll know that they're there. Um, and then uh, I'll see shadow people. Sometimes uh, voices will start up in the house. Like there'll be the telepathic communication, but sometimes voices, disembodied voices in the house. Um, and they us- they're usually exerting some kind of mental control over me where I am uh, unable to move very easily. Um, and But sometimes they relinquish that as well. There, there have been a few times where... I am uh, lucid while this is actually happening. Um, there was one time where they came in particular where I was, felt particularly lucid when they actually gave me food to eat as well, which was like a biscuit kind of cake kind of thing. And I ate it and followed them out into the next room. And then I went back to bed, lay down, and I could still feel it on my teeth as I was getting back in bed. And people might say, why didn't you take a sample? What are you doing, you idiot? You know, But that kind of thing doesn't occur to me at the time yeah, to do it. Yeah. Or if it does occur, it's almost like it feels uh, like it's uh, it would be rude. It would be inappropriate. That's the overwhelming feeling. It would be inappropriate to do anything like that, which is probably some kind of influence from them. But uh, that particular time when I lay back down, um, one of them came in in these boa suits, these dark suits, stood over the top of me again while I was lying down, I looked up at them. And then when I turned back around, I think a smaller one ran in behind me and sneezed on me, which is just the most bizarre thing. But this is like bringing the experience back down into the mundane for me as well. I'm like, I think one of their children just sneezed on me, you know. Wow. Maybe then I should have gotten the thing out and be like getting the saliva for the DNA or something. But that kind of thing, it just doesn't occur to me or it doesn't feel right. But um so the experiences can go from being, yeah, like in, um, sort of sort of dreamlike and obviously manipulation on me um, or kind of evoking a feeling of um, apathy in me, an apathetic feeling as well. Sometimes I have these experiences and at the time it's the most normal thing in the world until they're gone and then I'm like, holy moly, I was just talking to an eight-foot-tall guy in my kitchen, you know. But at the time it's like, oh, yeah, I know this guy. This is normal. This is... Um, yeah, so so hardly any or no mental manipulation all the way down to a strong exertion of manipulation um, and uh, sometimes m- messing with my eyes as well, you know. Like sometimes they don't want me to see them or don't want to see where I am so they can um, make it so that my eyes are seeing things that are obviously not matching the physical reality, like seeing um, the ceiling of my bedroom unchanging while I'm moving my eyes like it's the same image stuck on my eyes turning my head and I can still only see that feeling them rolling me over or even sitting me up and I've still got which sounds quite primitive in a way you know like can they not allow for that I think they can allow for that in certain circumstances where they uh exert like they they cast some kind of glamour on you or a suggestion that you are somewhere safe that you'd prefer to be rather than on their ship or underground or whatever but in some situations, it's like they they hijack your eyes and present you a still shot of something that you'd find comfortable to see, even if it's inappropriate, sort of. Um, I don't know why they now, choose I, one over the other sometimes, but <laughs> well, I know you you described the 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 female entity that you were kind of having this conversation with. Do the, do most of these look uh, somewhat the same? And uh, how tall are they? Just give us a basic description. And you also said they wore some kind of suits at times, right? 
Yeah, that's right. The, um, they can vary in height dramatically. So I've seen really small people that are like two foot tall, some of their children, they take a very long time to grow. So some of the memories that are coming back to me from my childhood as well are of incredibly small people, uh, like maybe like two foot tall or something like that. Um, but um, uh, four foot tall, five foot tall, and they, as, they, as they grow older, they, uh, they slowly grow. Um, so most of the individuals I've seen are around about my height. I'm five eight, between five eight and like six six or something like that. Like, but I have seen individuals that are at least eight foot tall, maybe even nine foot tall. Um, uh, now um, those individuals that I've seen are usually wearing uh, floor length cloaks, hooded cloaks when they when they come. The really tall ones. Their elders, like a like a that maybe they have a priestly class as well, and I think some of their elders um, do that. Um, some of the some of the medics I've seen have been really tall as well. The medics wear um, like gloves, uh, black lenses over the tops of their eyes, and then just in a similar fashion to our own doctors and things, they cover their mouth, cover the their hair, tight white outfits, um, and their hands. They have really long really long four fingers, uh, half as long as ours again or maybe even twice as long, whereas their thumb is vestigial and is like half the length of ours or something like that and it looks like it's further up their hand but the length of their hand is so much more. And then they, they've got like a line down the middle and the four fingers um, prehensile and oppose each other. They're, they're like, they become like thumbs and they move, the four fingers move out and pick up objects and things like that. Um, and, and they have the, as the taller, the really tall ones are really hunched. Like they have problems with their, uh, uh, with their backs, uh, the, the, the vertebrate or something. And they all, they, they start to get like a pu pushed forwards, uh, shoulders and hunched look to them and a real sort of S shape to their back when they get quite tall. Um, the, the, bo what I call BOAS suits, B-O-A-S, which I named after, the uh, Antonio Villas Boas, the the famous case from Brazil in 1957, where he had interactions with pale beings. But at one stage, they were wearing these dark suits, and which struck me as a version of the same kind of suits that I've seen. So I, so I just thought I'll call them Boas suits. But um, um, skin tight again, black, black or grey normally, with the black um, circular technology on the chest that's darker. Um, that looks like black marble or something like that on the chest. Um, a, a helmet, a black helmet, and then a nose piece, like a long nose piece that sort of flares out um, and it goes back up over the top of the helmet. Goggles that glow red at night and like a, a um, which uh, it's for night vision presumably, I don't know what, what's going on there really, uh, how that would work, but um, and, uh, and another breathing device which they've told me is not for them. They can breathe out air. This is for keeping out allergens. So they, they're susceptible to a lot of allergies, uh, keeping out pollen and dust and things like this. Um, uh, and they can cloak in these. They can become um, uh, intangible so that they can pass through walls. Uh, they can levitate in them when they're levitating. I've seen them do it. They go all fuzzy looking and they almost look like they've got fur. They almost look like a furry thing and they then they take off and they got like a black cloud comes up over the top um and 
super speed, super strength. These suits, they're, they're soldier suits, basically, they're like super soldier suits. Um, uh, invulnerable as well, like, and so that they're impervious to like uh, bullets, uh, bladed weapons, and things like that. Um, and the nose piece I've come to understand is for amplifying and resonating sound because as they hoot and howl and roar and make these powerful sounds to communicate over huge distances in like national parks, state parks, wilderness areas, they have lots of habitations in underneath our wilderness areas all across the face of the earth. Um, and they have, they, they, they use their own language, their own natural language kind of sounds to our ears like Korean or Japanese when you hear it spoken, which I've heard it spoken on a few times. I thought it was Japanese at first. Um, and they have what I call camo cant, camo cants, camouflage languages, where sometimes they'll sound like dogs or birds chirping um, or mon- sort of like a cross between a monkey and a fox you hear as well, like a sort of like a giggling, laughing sort of sound but then also howling and hooting and things like that. That's crazy. Um, and the, 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 our recordings, the, the Sierra sounds are definitely them. The Sierra, I know that a lot of people consider Sierra, the Sierra sounds that were done by Ron Moorhead yeah, and Alberia yeah, yeah. and the Sierra Nevada mountains, California in the seventies, consider that to be evidence for Bigfoot. Right. But that is definitely them. That is mm. them. That is that. Yeah, that, when you were they, saying those howls, that's what I was shadow. thinking of, those those exact same Bigfoot howls that you were just referring to or, you know. Yeah, for sure. Misunderstood Bigfoot. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that sound, how it sort of sounds like like the idea of like an anime cartoon, like a, like that really sort of overtly masculine Japanese samurai speech, you know, that kind of really speaking from the chest or from the gut. Um, um they that's their natural that's their natural language that's uh, but then they code switch between all these different other kinds of languages to confuse us basically they're sort of like camouflage languages um and you can, then i've heard them they switch between them like they'll be saying something one of them will be talking in, in in their normal language and then halfway through the sentence they'll switch and they'll be they'll start chirping to each other as they like switching between um so yeah, that's uh, and they can yeah. So they can get incredibly tall if they're quite old, and they get to ages like six, seven, eight hundred years old if they're lucky. They're very lucky because like theoretically they can get to that age. Wow. Now, but, do you um, remember g- genetically do, they have issues? Do you remember uh, most of the dialogue that you have whenever you're having these meetings? And have they told you a lot of this information about themselves that you're repeating? Are you ready to live a more free? healthy and abundant life? Transform your yard into a food forest and create a system for self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable with our friends at Food Forest Abundance. No matter where you're starting from, you can become more self-reliant. And you can take your self-reliance to the next level by becoming a producer of your own food through growing and foraging and learn how to turn your property into an income-producing source of economic self-reliance. They can help you get off-grid and learn what systems to employ for food, water, and energy self-reliance, and live abundantly and in full connection with your property and what you produce. Click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest and have your own sustainable source of livelihood and become self-sufficient with food forest abundance. 
Just click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest today. Yes, they've told me a lot of this information. Um, and sometimes I remember lots of it. Other times I, I feel like I should remember it and they're telling me stuff and I say to them, I'm not going to remember this. And they say, oh, you're going to remember it. Don't worry about it. You'll remember it at some stage. Um, but, yeah, they so, so some of it is them telling me directly. Other stuff is feels almost like abstract ideas being communicated to me. Maybe, you know, in ufology people would call that a download or something. Um, where rather than being linguistic, linguistically, you know, in, taught to me, it just feels like they're imparting all this information to me when they're present. And all of a sudden I'll, I'll understand and I'll say, th I'll, I'll, I'll ask for confirmation. I'll say, is that right? Is that what, it's, what this is like? And they'll say yes. And then, you know. Um, but also some of the stuff I know about them, I've worked out myself through investigating them, through looking for them in folklore um, and in other people's cases and things like that from ancient times up until today, you know, and I was inspired by Jacques Vallée's ideas of seeing that, recognising the that the Celtic fairy faith in particular of old times, the beings represented in that are identical to the beings spoken of or a lot of the different, a lot of the races talked about in modern UFO lore and understanding. Um, and then I was, so Jacques Vallée and then Mac Tonys, um, um, who coined the term crypto-terrestrials anyway, which I've stolen from him, you know, um, hidden earthlings, where he, he decided that the evidence was pointing towards the race behind the UFO phenomena and ET abduction phenomena and things like that uh, is more likely indigenous to this planet than being some kind of extrasolar race. Seems to have some kind of genetic affiliation with us to be interested in mating with us or taking genetic samples and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so utilising, like, sort of springboarding off those guys' ideas as well, I was like, these dudes are on the right track. And then I took the, the investigation further. And in my book, uh, Children of Orion, like, I compare each uh, of Gaelic folklore to you know uh, modern ET related stuff, and I focus in particular looking on the race that I know well. And I've so in get in Gaelic folklore, there's the race called Nahuishlan, the gentry, um, and you know sometimes they're called Nashikin, um, but uh, a tall, fair race, subterranean dwelling that whistled whistled to each other. Um, it can become invisible at will, that can act as poltergeist. Um, and um, uh, have you know, very magical, use cast glamours on people, confuse people, um, can be dangerous if, not, if they're not placated, um, can even uh, kill or damage livestock if it comes too close to their underground habitations. This is, these are the, the uh, characteristics of, of Nahuishlan, the, the gent, Gaelic gentry. Um, and Charles Hall, I discovered, you know, Charles Hall wrote the Millennial Hospitality books and um, mm -hmm. he was uh, a weather observer in the United States Air Force posted in uh, uh, in Nevada in uh, Nellis Air Force Base at Indian Springs. He'd go out and send his balloons aloft and with a theodolite, track them and all that kind of stuff. That was his job there for two years. And he had this interaction with, 
a tall, fair race of beings that chirped and whistled and were subterranean dwelling and would mess with him in poltergeist kind of ways. And uh, and I was realising that they, this, these are identical beings, you know, um, that have been here for a very long time. Uh, and these are the same beings that I am interacting with. Uh, so Charles Hall called them tall whites and he coined that term really before. I'm pretty, I'm not 100% sure, I'm 99.9% sure uh, that in ufology, the term tall whites wasn't around, I don't think, until the early 2000s. So some of your listeners or, you, or yourself might um, might be able to dig up uses of that term before Charles Hall, but I'm pretty sure that Charles Hall was the first guy to use the term tall whites to refer to like a tall, fair race of ETs. Mm. Before then, people were more likely to call them Nordics. Right. Um, nowadays, people often make a distinction between tall whites and Nordics. And I sort of think of that as being an artificial distinction. Mm. I think it's probably the same dudes that were once called Nordics now called tall whites, but, um, but uh, yeah, so, so he called them tall whites. Uh, they told me they're called Mudjana. Um, And so I, in, in my first book, I used the term Orions a lot for them. And that's because um, when I was a kid at one stage, the end of, when I was having was like a teenager, maybe it would have been about teenage years. They, I, when I thought they were fairies, um, one of them communicated to me that they were the saucepan people, and I was a little bit confused by that. But then I came to realise that what they meant was Orion, uh, the constellation, because in Australia we call Orion the saucepan, um, and. Then at another stage, I'd said to them, you're ancient, you're a different race of humans maybe or a different race of hominins that's not homo sapiens but that left Earth and have come back again or something like that. I was sort of having these kinds of speculative ideas about what was going on, what was happening to me. And they said, oh, it's more complicated than that. That was their response then. Mm -hmm. And then much later in my life, they said to me, we are you, we are your future. And as as i went through the different cases that i was investigating i was finding um you know like symbols representing orion's belt like in the villas boas case there's famous hieroglyphs or writing um that have three dots uh that conform precisely to the layout of orion's belt and then it has lines and squiggles and things like that um that taken on its own might be a coincidence you know orion's belt you could if you're really looking for something, of course, in nature, you can see it everywhere, you know, um, but uh, with pareidolia and whatnot. But um, as, I, as I was investigating the cases, I was finding that this, this um, reference to Orion continues, you know, like in the Crabwood Crop Circle, which is also produced by this, this same race, the famous Crabwood Crop Circle in England from 2002, where you actually had this image of, a, of an ET-like being with a disc with binary code in English on it. And just just to the side of it, the three 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 dots, three stars conforming precisely to Orion's belt. Um, and then there are other cases as well where Orion c comes into focus. Um, so uh, yeah, so there are, you could call them Orions. Now they're, they're originally from Earth, but it gets quite complicated. I don't know if you want me to go into that kind of stuff where. Yeah, I actually, yeah, go ahead. Let's, because uh, I have some other questions after that, but let's talk about that for a second. The idea that, yes, Mactonies was right in the sense that they are indigenous to the earth or a version of the earth. So this is Rick and Morty kind of stuff, really. And it's not quite time travel. 
They haven't traveled to their ancient past. They've crossed into another timeline or dimension or universe, which is identical to their own at an earlier point in its history. So they're not actually from our future and we're not from their past. Their reasons for coming here is the genetic, is the, is the uh, uh, an impoverishment to their genomes um, through too much genetic engineering, prolonging their lifespans, messing with their own DNA, basically. They couldn't alleviate this. They couldn't write this, correct this with all the maladies and pathologies are developing for them. They decided to locate ancient versions of themselves from before they started messing with their own DNA to, um, you know, have intercourse, to reproduce, to study, to try and augment themselves again and bring some kind of natural, um, you know, return return, um, uh, evolution by natural selection back into the mix in, in a way, even though this is still all highly artificial. That, but they've been messing with themselves in an artificial way for so long, they're ill, they're sick. Um, they don't heal properly. Um, they uh, are susceptible to disease. And they see in us archaic, free-range versions of themselves that they, whose gene pool they can dip into. Um, now, and that's their main reason for being here, for coming. And they've been here back here for a long time and they've colonized it and they're underground, they're under our oceans. They move around and follow the warmth. So, so certain parts, certain underground habitations remain dormant. Uh, if, if the, that part of the earth's in winter, etc. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so what, if you, you were t- telling us earlier about the the medical procedures that these guys were doing to you at one point. Do you remember clearly any of those um, in details that you could tell us about? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, one of them, uh, they were drilling into the bottom of my foot, and they were all standing around me. And there were a couple of them at the end of the bed or whatever it was I was on, and. I lifted my foot for them as well, and I was I was thinking I am so helpful. Uh, now I don't know whether they were suggesting they probably were suggesting that I should do that, but I, I remember thinking I'm going to be so helpful in this interaction. I'm going to hold my foot up for them, and they drilled. They were all holding, and they drilled into my foot, and I was making sure they didn't have to take too much of the weight of my leg. Drilled into the bottom of my foot, no pain in this particular uh, this particular time. Then they wandered around to the other, to the back of the bed and drilled directly into the top of my head, again with no pain, but with like a whizzing sound, like being at the dentist drill sound. And then they started to push me to roll me over and I thought that it was time to go home. So I started to get up and then they were like, no, and they grabbed me and sort of moved me back again. And I was trying to be as compliant as possible. I was thinking, I'm going to make it really easy for these guys. But, you know, again, this is sort of power of suggestion maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a nice guy. You know, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so they ro- <laughs> they rolled me over and then they were doing it into my back, um, which I presume was into a rib. Um, so I could feel it happening but not the pain. So I could feel something going in but no pain associated with it. So I wasn't completely numb. Um, and then I said to – and there was the whole time there was a woman sitting beside me, one of them a female sitting beside me without the medical gear on 
with her big blue eyes and whatnot sitting there. And she got off. She stood up and went to walk beside me. And I thought, I'm going to be clever. I'm going to say thanks, Orions, into the operating theater or whatever it was. And I thought, I'm just going to do this. Uh, I, I feel like it's inappropriate now, but I'm going to do it. And I went to do it. And before I could even say I was thinking of doing it, she knelt down and shushed me, right? And then she kept walking. And I was like, I'm going to say it anyway. So I did. I said, thanks, Orions. And they just kept working. And then I just thought that was hilarious. And I was laughing away to myself. And then a voice right in the middle of my head said, that isn't funny, right? <laughs> and, then, and then I felt all sheepish about that. And they said, but you received an ovation. So I, I think they liked the idea that I obviously was knew who they and what they are. You know? um, but um, and then I said, so what was that about? And they said for language and running. And I was like, what, what does that even mean? And they said, it's a gift. Stop going on about it. <laughs> and then I and then they took me back again. So that was one experience that's pretty full on. And the whole time it was happening. There was either a window or maybe it was just like a an image, like a like a TV screen or monitor or something that had purple sort of pink hues to it that was a rocky landscape with a, like a purple sky outside that looked like maybe it was outside the window. And I was thinking, man, this is an earth. What's going on here? But I think maybe there's a possibility it was just like like a digital display, you know, like a like an image, you know. Mm. Um uh i'm not sure about that but um so that was one there another time they um they said to me um we're going to operate on you but we need permission for this one and i said uh you know okay um if it's beneficial to me or whatever and they were like yeah and then well, i think they didn't reply to that um and then i said okay yeah go for it and then they said, they just said confirmation. And then I blacked out and then I woke up. I thought, uh, I don't know what they just did to me. And there's nothing on me and stuff. And I'm thinking, what, what, what was that procedure that it required extra permission? Um, oh, another time it felt like they were actually opening you right up, but there was no pain. And I was thinking, what, why? You know, I don't, like, I wasn't really, they didn't tell me that time what they thought they were doing. Um, Another time I was actually in a, a, what looked like one of our hospitals. It was just like it was a hospital and I was sitting up and there was uh, one of, there, were, there was a tall um, Majina woman, but she had like an obvious wig on, like a dark wig. And a, a, another a guy, a doctor who was Majina, um, but he was dressed like one of their medics and he was and then there was a screen that looked, and I presumed it was my body, but upside down with a kind of like a green sort of weird sort of uh, haze to it. Uh, and they were showing me an image of my own body and they were pointing at it and they said, and one of them said, it's too early to see any changes yet. And I was like, whoa, uh, what's, what is this? Uh, and they didn't tell me what they meant by that. And I noticed on the upside down image, there were two green blobs on the image beside my head so there's like an upside upside down image of a person with two green blobs on either side and i went to look and i felt like there was resistance like i couldn't quite look and then the woman said pay no attention to the ghosts beside you 
but I can't remember if she said ghosts or angels now. Um, pay no attention to the angels beside you or the ghosts beside you. So I, I presume that there were like two guards or some, or there were two people standing there when they were actually coming up on the image of the scan as well because they were standing so close. Um, and then I got up and I couldn't walk properly and they sat me in a wheelchair and wheeled me out into the parking lot. And I didn't know, like, on Earth somewhere, there were streetlights and stuff. Put me into, a, a like, an RV kind of vehicle, like what people call Tic Tacs probably on the media and stuff, like a, like a bus that's got no wheels. Loaded me into the back of that, and then, boom, off we go. Wow. And, and then I can't remember what happened then. I think that, like, they've taken some memory there. Yeah, that's um, incredible. Do you think that they're doing this to everyone and we just have no recollection of this and you just have kind of a stronger, different type of connected connection or perception to this? Uh, yeah, I think they do this to a lot of people. Um, uh, and um, and for whatever reason, um, they allow me to remember a lot more than they allow other people, but that it is happening similar things are happening to a lot of people across the face of the earth all the time. Um, now, you know, you might have inklings that something's been going on and just think, oh, that's probably nothing or have no understanding or recollection of anything. But I say to people that um, if, if you think your house is haunted and you have shadow people or poltergeist activity, disembodied voices, hear boots on your roof at night coming down the stairs, music, um, people standing over you in the middle of the night, um, uh, feelings of hands on your body in the middle of the night and there's no one there, uh, that's very likely that you are an experiencer, an imagine experiencer, and there can be lots of different reasons why they would be experiencing with you. Um, one of them is that they breed with us as well, so you may be part of their breeding program. Having said that, it's supposed to be consensual, but the point I often raise with this is I see ethical issues with getting someone's consent, explaining to them that you're a race that requires for your next generation, you know, to be augmented by some of our healthy DNA and all that kind of stuff, getting the person's okay, and then suppressing their memory of having consented. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then they just think their house is haunted um, or that there's, or there's, you know, there's ghosts or whatever. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of paranormal activity that is attributed to like deceased humans, you know, like spirits and ghosts or cryptids and all that kind of stuff. Mm. A lot of it is them, um, in my opinion. Uh, and I talk about that in my book, you know, stuff. How much do you think, how much do you think we know our, our clandestine groups, our three letter agencies, the, the black projects, these guys that, uh, you know, that we don't hear about in the mainstream, how much do you think that they know and even maybe participate with these guys and things yeah i think i think they know a lot so you know i i personally am quite satisfied that the group majestic exists or did exist and probably has been reformed and gone through a lot of different names and things like that since but um but uh yeah uh i think the shadow government kind of groups sort of elite groups that are behind um, you know, elected governments and elected officials that are kind of sort of like our permanent kind of puppet masters on the earth, homo sapiens rulers in a way behind the curtains. They've had interactions 
and treaties and whatnot with with these guys for a long time you know um at least since the 40s since the 1940s but uh, maybe even earlier um especially some of these uh, sort of esoteric groups like you know that the um the freemasons for instance have a lot have had a, a highly esoteric you know mystical groups that have been around for centuries passing on lore and information um and highly superstitious people you know like a lot of a lot of the people that are our rulers of the world believe some some really superstitious stuff and the mudjana uh, i'm fairly certain they see the mudjana and also other races as being their ancient gods that they used to think were maybe had gone or were figurative or something like that but a flesh and bone and present um and I suspect they're very frightened of them, that the people, the homo sapiens power structure in the world is terrified of what I would say this crypto-terrestrial presence, um, which could just, like, crack them like an egg if they felt like it. Right. Um, but uh, but I think that they don't interact with us. They, they don't um, exert influence on on our elites and things like that. Uh, too much they only step in if they feel that there's issues they need to address one of them is that you know there needs to be changes about the way we're abusing the resources of our planet and deforesting and and you know um killing off all the different kinds of uh, biodiversity and generally our biosphere is quite sick at the moment this is a problem and the crypto terrestrial particularly the mudgeners are not happy about that kind of stuff as you can imagine because they're back here sharing this world with us um but um yeah they, for sure they've had interactions with them um and had treaties um and at the moment i would not know what kind of how friendly their interactions are and whether they do have treaties and meetings anymore or whether that kind of stuff has stopped um but um do you think these beings yeah. mainly have our best interest in mind or do you think that there are different groups that may not uh, that some may be more malevolent than others uh i think that well, this particular group the mudjana does have our best interest or they have the earth's best interest mm. and then also uh, they require us as well. I mean, you can you can look. Everyone's selfish in the end. Maybe you can look at them as being quite selfish. They require access to us as um, sort of versions of themselves that have been hewn by time and natural selection that are healthy versions of themselves that they can utilize. They require us to survive, or they will die out themselves. Without access to us, they'll eventually become extinct. Um, but having said that a healthy human population requires a healthy biosphere um you know to 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 maintain an organism to like the earth like a like a systemic holistic or kind of organism like the earth you can say it um you have to take care of it in 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 deep systemic ways you know and you could say you, you can use the um, analogy of how do you keep a plant healthy? Well, you water the roots, you feed the roots. You don't necessarily, you know, like polish the leaves. If you want shiny leaves, you don't need to polish the leaves. You need to feed the tree and water the tree, which is to say if they want healthy human populations, health, healthy, they need healthy 
a healthy earth, healthy biosphere, healthy plant kingdom, healthy animal kingdom, healthy earth, healthy human. Um, and, um, yeah, so, yeah, they definitely, they want us to survive. I think there has been a threat at some stage that we either are under, we are either beside them in the future or under their feet in the sense that we can either join them and become an advanced group sharing in these sophisticated technologies, provided that they appreciate our worldview and our belief systems and consider us to be worthy in some way to partake in this. Otherwise, and that would be for us to be beside them, otherwise we would be under their feet, which is what we have been for thousands of years in the sense that we are like we're just primitive populations of people on the earth with them with advanced sophisticated technologies as our gods that occasionally appear that creep into our houses at night as succubi and incubi or Anan and she, the fairy lover. Um, uh, so up until this point in our reality, basically we have been under their feet. Now we can either stay under their feet and be punished even in some way, have our technologies stripped from us, be returned to earlier forms of civilized advancement. Um, certainly pre-industrial but maybe even earlier you know to to because of our um effect negative effect on the on the biosphere and the planet at the moment or we can take the leap with them and be gifted advanced technologies and join them um in a more sort of you know brotherly sisterly kind of way but um i, th I think that option is the one that's going to play out now the, the better one the one that sounds better <laughs> um, i'd hope so while we're talking about their technology, uh, you mentioned you were talking kind of briefly about some of the things that they have the ability to do, especially when you're looking at things like changing our perception or, uh, you know, appearing as a poltergeist or, or disappearing, things like this, levitation. Do you think that this is just forms of their advanced technology that we don't understand, or could it even be some kind of form of magic? Uh, I, th They are flesh and blood and nuts and bolts you know um they have their own kind of you could say they're spiritual in the sense that they are a very spiritual people they have their own religion and spirituality but they've expressed to me on a number of occasions they are the same as us if we are flesh and blood beings they are too um and they are definitely relying on technologies sophisticated technologies um now their technologies are so far advanced that the line between magic and technology i suppose sort of falls away where you, it starts to become it's up in the air and it's debatable as to whether these two terms in some kind as some kind of dichotomy can really exist anymore they're, they're going to fall they're going to merge together because um when you have technologies that are so advanced that you can travel interdimensionally or shift your atomic structure so that you can become non-physical um it's really hard to say anymore uh you know it's, it's hard to now say that they are material if they can do those kinds of things so the but the but the base reality i suppose of it is that they're material technologies that are allowing them to become something comparable to spiritual beings for, for certain periods of time by flicking a button, you know, or whatever. Um, their own spiritual, I know a, a lot about their own religious system as well, their own spiritual stuff. Um, uh, 
they do i used to think i used to interpret what they were telling me to be sort of like a kind of idealism like when you took like like consciousness being based reality you know people talk a lot about that kind of thing these days especially in the ufo community and things um certain and in, you know eastern mysticism uh certain kinds of hinduism and buddhism and things like that have uh given rise in the west to to, to a lot of these ideas nowadays in the new age community and things like that um they were i thought that they were telling me something like that but i've come to appreciate now more that they their understanding of base reality is monist in the sense that they think that there is only one kind of substance or stuff that the universe is comprised of they're not dualist and they think some things are physical and some things are spiritual they think everything is one but sometimes it behaves in ways that we would call spiritual and sometimes it behaves in ways that we would call material nonetheless it is always the one substance um so it's kind of like a a synthesis or a um um a merging of idealism and materialism uh right. a reconciliation of those into into one um of the, the mind and emerging of mind and matter to recognize that they are the same thing in the end neither it's not that everything turns out to be mind and it's not that everything turns out to be matter it's that everything turns out to be this third substance which is both of them together in some way you know right. um they don't believe in individual souls so they they don't they don't think that people have like an atomic soul like an indivisible soul that they they think of everyone as being an expression or a reduction of the one great being the one great world soul mm. so what makes a person a person is that they are they are limited in certain ways and some people are limited in certain ways and another person who's a different individual will be limited in different ways but both of them are uh retractions or reductions of the one which is the whole system the entire all reality um and then they also have an idea of um what they call the land of the black star or the black sun which is and they have the, a symbol to represent it as well um which has like a dragon's face it looks kind of like a dragon's face in the middle with heaps of eyes running down it um this is uh their understanding of a, a world of potential that is outside the actualized world so things that so our world is actualized and in that way it is reduced it has been reduced reduced from being the potential world the potential world is all possible worlds existing at once which means it is neither this nor that as a world beyond dualism whereas what we would normally call this world is a binary system of a kind uh, a dualistic system where things are separated there can be ones there can be zeros there can be this there can be that in this other realm which they tap into to travel massive distances in short periods um they it is a world where everything exists and nothing exists if something is this then it's also that uh, so this is an idea that they've expressed to me a few different times in different ways but i'm slowly learning more and more um and i think they're initiating me into some of these kinds of ideas um so early on i used to think it's just my job or task to investigate their presence and show and demonstrate to people beyond reasonable doubt that they exist by building crypto terrestrial profile 
of characteristics and showing and pointing them out and demonstrating, you know, which I try to do in my books. But but just in the past couple of years, or maybe even one year, I've realised that it's more than that. They they want more than that of me. Something which I find quite uncomfortable, actually, in taking on a role where they want me to express to people ideas about their spirituality and ways that we can move forward as apparently five races, us and there's four other ones, the future human, uh, as a five, as five races together by each other's side without us being under their feet anymore. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I don't like being a public person and I'm her- very uncomfortable doing public speaking and that kind of stuff. It was like my nightmare when I was a kid having to talk on the radio or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm quite so, and it's also I find it sort of embarrassing in the sense that when I say to people, these people are instructing me about this and want me to tell people, I feel like an idiot. I feel I just feel like it just sounds so cliche. You know, it sounds so silly. But this apparently is what they want me to be doing these days so i'm like oh okay dudes let's do this <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> how do you based on your understanding how do they feel about the direction we're headed on the planet you said that they themselves uh tinkered with their own dna too much and they're not healthy anymore and we see us doing the same things i mean we eat the the crappiest food we our medical and pharmaceutical companies are just here to keep us sick and kill us so uh our future as far as what we're doing to our own bodies doesn't look too good right now how do they feel about that yeah they're not happy about that kind of thing and they're not happy about us being on the precipice of direct genetic engineering and manipulation mm. in our own bodies to eliminate uh you know um sickness or prolong our lifespans all this kind of stuff as well but then also yeah filling our bodies with all of these chemicals and plastics all through our form now and all that kind of stuff no well that we're on the way to becoming useless to them in that sense as well if you want to look at it from their own perspective and 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 even if you you're going to decide that they're you know ultimately like probably most people are they're they're selfish um when it comes down to it in wanting to maintain us as healthy beings self as an extension of them yeah yeah um yeah this is not we're not going the right way to to remain in good stead with them you know in that way but i think that i i'm hopeful that um you know a couple of years ago i wouldn't have been as hopeful as i am now that the, we're on the precipice of some kind of change for the positive with less of that being an issue with their help. Um, even if they're working behind the scenes and guiding the homo sapiens elites to shift their own directions, um, which they're quite capable of doing, I'm sure, that um, uh, in the end, if the CTs, if the cryptoterrestrials, the Mudgeno and the others decide that something has to be done, they say jump. Uh, our rulers our our dark elites or whatever say how high mm. they there's no way that they compete can compete with their uh technology um just none none at all like no even though people talk about us back engineering craft and like um you know having our own advancements having our own anti-gravitic technologies having this and that that's 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 a drop in the ocean like the, us trying to engage with them in any way even with our new toys that maybe we have anti-gravitic stuff and weapons and stuff like that. It'd be like 
trying to attack an elephant with a a wet train ticket or something like that. We're talking about something way, way beyond yeah. our capabilities. Um, and and they said that up until um, uh, about six months ago, they said to me, there are a million of us. They were saying there's a million of them. Just a couple of months ago, they said we are now 12 million. So I don't know. So at some stage, there's been some contact again with, the other timeline and heaps of them have jumped across i think and i think it, it's my i'm pretty sure i'm right i'm not 100 sure i'm right but that they're thinking this reality now is their future rather than harvesting healthy dna and taking it back to where they're from their own timelines and whatnot they've decided no they're going to set up permanent digs here this is their world now um and and they're going to do anything to protect it protect the biosphere of the earth as like this piece this museum piece um a version of their ancient world um and they can and they're not happy with us you know there's lots of it's not just um it's not just to do with you know us abusing the planet and all that kind of stuff but um abusing each other as well you know um again this sounds a bit corny but um well it doesn't sound corny i suppose but um they are incredibly upset with the idea that we allow people to die from poverty living on streets in our cities they're particularly offended by the idea that we don't look after our own children as well mm. i had an experience once where they took me i think it was into a mountain and they showed me our own children that they had in hospital beds one girl had like half of her face blown off and she had like tubes going into her and they said these are your children that we take and heal. And I was like, man. And they, 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 in a lot of ways, they think very little of us as a, as a race. And they're constantly, they know us in the sense that they are in our heads. We can't hide anything from them. Mm. Um, they know what we're capable of. They know what we've done. They know an individual's past and likely you know, future actions and that kind of stuff. And they're, they're not happy, you know. They don't, they, don't, they don't think much of us as a race um, and they socially as well in that kind of way, you know, that we, uh, we don't take care of our own, uh, which is incredibly offensive to them. So, yeah. Now you, uh, you said these guys live underground and in mountains. Uh, what about uh, in, in the ocean underwater? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, they said under Bass Strait, where I am here, um, Bass Strait is the strip um, uh, of ocean that's going between Vic the state of Victoria on the mainland um, in the southeast uh, and Tasmania, the state, the isle, island state just below it. There's a strip of water there called Bass Strait. There's a continental shelf, and they said that they have uh, structures within that continental shelf down here. But all over the world they have excuse me, they have, um, uh, yeah, under undersea uh, structures, facilities in, in, in the earth, you know, in, in the crust, but under the water. Um, yeah, for sure. Wow. Now, as uh, your, your current experiences go, how often are you, are you having these? Um, well, they, they said to me just recently, we visit you for 10 minutes every night for education. 
and I certainly don't remember physical visitations for 10 minutes every night. I probably, I'm conscious of them coming to the house and interacting with me some way or taking me maybe once a month. Um, having said that, linguistic telepathic communication is almost all the time. Uh, it, like like if I, if I were to sit down and sort of zone out a bit and ask if any of them were around, it wouldn't take too long for one of them to reply. Um, and every night when I go to bed, I hear them interacting with each other. Some of them as well, I think, are guards. So they said we, they, they've said heaps of times, we, we protect you. Um, and they actually have dudes, soldiers or guards permanently here, I think, or near, nearby, especially at night. Um, and uh, I know some of their names as well. One of them um, is called, they call her Sibylline. It's a female guard. Um, and then there's another guy, Joe, calls himself Joseph Joe. They, I think they, they adopt a lot of our names uh -huh. um, in a similar way to like Chinese people might adopt Western names when they're interacting with us because they don't want us butchering their names or whatever. But um, in this same kind of way, they, they adopt a lot of sort of fairly normal sounding names, our names and things like that. But um, uh, yeah, so there's, um, so I hear them moving around sometimes um and sometimes they'll say things to me if i talk to them but they are sort of reluctant to interact with me because i think their job isn't to interact with me those guys um but uh, but anyway yeah well that man that's incredible uh what is your plans for um any future communication about these to the, the world i mean are you you have your your book children of orion are you planning on doing any other books or any more writing about it yeah yeah um i'm currently engaged uh full on with uh the second book and Great. Um, you know, the first one's published by Flying Disc Press, Philip Mantle at Flying Disc Press, and he's said that he'll take the second one on as well. And it should be, it'll definitely be out next year, but it should be early next year that the second one will be coming out, Tribes of the Black Star, um, Crypto Terrestrials in Our Future. Um, well, that's the that's the working title at the moment anyway. I'm pretty sure that will be the title. But uh, yeah, for sure, that's uh, that's what I'm doing with most of my time at the moment, writing the second one. Um, which has a lot more, you know, uh, pattern recognition profiling from different cases through history, but also has um, much more of a, a, a bent on looking at their languages or linguists uh, and uh, what I know so far about their not only their own na natural language, but also these um, camouflage languages they use, um, sort of like, what would you call them, like cryptolects? They're like uh, the contrived contrived languages they've manufactured themselves to mimic our wildlife um and uh and then also some some of the stuff about their spirituality and things like that and what i am pretty sure will come to be in our future um if if we end up beside them rather than under their feet uh you know the i'm pretty sure the the, the future's bright um but uh yeah, so the, the the next book, um, yeah, early next year, anyway, dude. Yeah, 
I love it. Incredible, man. Well, we are definitely going to have to talk again soon. Uh, we barely scratch the surface on some of this stuff, and you've got so many incredible stories. Uh, before you head out, let the audience know where they can find your book, if you have a website, social media, all the good stuff. Yeah, cool. Cheers, man. Um, yeah, my book, Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials, is on Amazon as paperback, hardcover, and digital. Um, and I'm not on social media other than just having a YouTube channel. So if people are interested, it's it's just my name, Ryan Musgrave Evans. Um, and I put videos of me spilling away maybe once a week or something like that. Uh, but um, yeah, so if you're interested, check that out too. Thank you very much, dudes. Thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, I'd definitely love time. to come back. Yeah, for sure. We'll definitely do this again in the future. And until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening and we'll talk again tomorrow. See y'all then.